some detritus. I don't. I won't call it detritus, but good lord, good lord. I've uh, color coded. You, I am here. You can start. I don't know who the best player in all this is. If you have to pick out one player who's great, Steve has, has just announced from noises off that he is here to start. And do you know how he can do that, team? Because he's got a really, really long headphone cable. Did he hear that? Where, where is he? Sounds like he's going to the loom. Oh, there he. <laughs> What's he doing? Is he is he flicking us the bird? Or is he saying that he's going to be two minutes? Or is he making his two fingers? Oh, he's having a number two. Oh, man. Let's not do another another toilet start. No, No, he's about areas. I was just letting you know that I was just doing the second press on the coffee machine. Oh, (laughs) Oh, my word. The man lives a completely different life. This is Set Piece Many, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. I'm Hugh Ferris. Joining me are Stephen Wyeth, retweet, Rory Smith, quote tweet, and Andy Hinchcliffe, read Petit, the finest girl you ever want to meet. The... um, (laughs) The food is chinch. I've, I'm not eating it now, but how I've, have any of you ever had seared paprika squid? No, that sounds interesting. Oh, uh, Nikki and I, we, 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 my allergic wife has just run away vomiting. Really? Yeah. And I, I know fish shops have been, fish mongers have been out there for many, many, many years. But Nikki and I have really, because we, we walked to the local, uh, local fish mongers, which is five miles away. And we put our order in and we've been becoming quite adventurous in the fishmongers, but, but not in that way. And she got a squid and it was absolutely, I was a bit, I couldn't eat the tentacles though. That's the only problem, I, octopus and that I can't eat the tentacles, but the squid, seared squid with garlic and paprika was delightful. Is that something the three I of you would, would contemplate? I would, I would eat a, a bowl full of that stuff. I'll get, I'll get Nikki to send Katie, not the squid, but the recipe, and you can take it from there. She do you have just, a local fishmonger that you trust? She can just send me the recipe, and I'll do it. Kate also is, is tentacle uh, doubtful. She's not, yes. not a big fan of tentacles. She's not tentacle curious. Mm. She's not tentacle curious. The, um, tentacle curious, did you tentacle say? Tentacle curious. She's yeah, not yeah, tentacle okay. curious. She's not a fan of tentacles. Yes. We, have, we don't have a fishmonger near us, but there is a brilliant fishmonger near my parents where we, can, where we will be able to acquire squid. Yeah. The uh, football is chinch. Do you know what we're talking about today? Um, are we talking about people who aren't as good as me? Yes, we are kind of talking about you in a roundabout way. One of the things yeah. about our former England international that we like to celebrate is the very fact that he was an England international seven times. Seven yes. seems to be a suitable number, doesn't it? Enough times to not be considered a mistake, but not so many that he'll get big headed. Uh, but what, for example, if chinch had won six caps or as Manfred Mann would say, five, four, three, Two, one. Uh, <laughs> reference to the kids there. Yeah, reference to the kids. That, that in 1964 uh, peaked at number five in the UK singles charts. Uh, the thing about England international footballers is that there are a lot of them. Jude Bellingham became the 1258th uh, last November. So in a twist to the nature of the usual discourse around Chinch's seven England caps, we're actually going to prove how much of an achievement it is by picking a select 11 of players with six caps or fewer for England. That is all to come. You can get in touch with the podcast. Setpiecemenu at gmail.com is our email address. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube as well. Recording a couple of pods on the same day gives us a tremendous opportunity to squeeze in some correspondence that can fall by the wayside after the weekly content dump that is a new SPM episode. So just a couple of examples. SPM 217, you might remember, was about how we use statistics. And that was followed by a discussion in which Stephen and Rory completely undervalued the achievements of Tom Brady. So here's Chris Hill, who writes this. Dear Richie, Potsy, Ralph, Mouth, and Arthur, who, Chinch, of course, is Fonzie. So coming last here 
is definitely best. I very much enjoyed the discussion around statistics and then the classification of goats in SPM 218. Both discussions touched heavily on statistical data, which of course they should do. But I think when looking at both of these things, there tends to be, certainly in the modern world of social media, a refusal to consider context or even just the more basic things such as aesthetics or how something made you feel, which I know can't be an entire basis for something uh, or someone being a goat. I think these things should surely though count to some extent. This manifests itself in the seemingly endless debate over who is the greatest, Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo. And the amount of times that uh, those you may choose to debate with fall back on the simple, look at all the goals type of argument. I would not try and state that C, Ronaldo, is anything other than a great footballer, one born of enormous dedication to improvement and desire to be the best. This has resulted in some staggering stats that dwarf those of Maradona or even, say, the original Ronaldo, although his stats are incredible given the number of injuries that wrecked his mid-20s. However, to me, he would not be in the same bracket as Messi because what those players did is more than just numbers. They were exhilarating to watch. They took the breath away. They made football otherworldly because no one could do what they did and how they did it. That would also be true and stand by Rory, you're not going to like this, of Roger Federer. Rafa Nadal and Novak Djokovic may overtake him with trophies, but they have never made tennis look how he does. Rory rolls his eyes. The other point about context came to mind after reading a tweet by Goal about the number of times Trent Alexander-Arnold had lost the ball this season, and it was painted as a huge failing of his, those pesky pass completion stats. There was nothing about the fact that he is trying repeatedly to switch play, play balls in behind, force the opponents onto the back foot and into making mistakes, and that with that comes the risk of losing the ball. I'm also sure that uh, if Liverpool thought this was a massive issue, they'd do something about it rather than encouraging him to constantly be a threat to the opposition. I expect Aaron Wan-Bissaka has better pass completion stats, for example, and the Twitterati will go wild to point this out, but he is doing a very different job to Trent, and so you cannot properly compare them, although they are both nominally right-backs. Regards from Chris. Uh, another email relating to a previous episode comes from Andrew Watts Morgan, who chimes in on SPM 220 on post-match interviews. Hi there, Ron, Ben, Chris, and Jean Ralphio, uh, fans of Parks and Recreation. Oh, yes. Uh, well, uh, no, that one. Uh, and that chinch definitely is fourth and last. Do I, Greetings... do I come out of that? Do I come out of that? No. Oh, come on. No. Well, it depends on your. I mean, he's an absolute dick, but he is an entertaining and amusing. Are we talking one. about the character or me? The character. He is an iconic character, John Ralphio. So I'll take that change. Yes, I'll, I'll take iconic over a complete dick. Thank you very much. Greetings, says Andrew, from the Channel Islands. Yes, they are an actual place and not twinned with Narnia. Thanks as ever for the consistently excellent and enjoyable output you provide. Where else would I get such high quality chat about football, bears and broadband? The podcast is a sure <laughs> sign too that I've reached the midway point of the week. Great to hear Chinch is back. I hope that he, Nicky and all their family are holding up well. Really enjoyed recent editions of the podcast. I have to say the importance with which post-match interviews and reaction are treated. It feels very much linked to the need for 24-7 football discussion that has been discussed many time on the podcast the match itself isn't enough there needs to be a debating point some comment that'll set the agenda until the next game whether that's a manager saying something post-match or a studio pundit going off on one saying time will tell or we go again won't get the clicks that a manager moaning about referee or pundits debating are they the best or slash worst player slash team ever will that well-known football expert charlie charlie brooker did an interesting segment in his Newswipe days on the john terry affair saga and it's ended up as my go-to example of how a story can be kept running in the 24 7 news cycle with actually nothing changing phrases like growing calls 
a media storm, mounting pressure, getting two people to furiously debate with each other, reporting what people have said on Twitter, all of them ways to keep a story in the headlines, even if nothing has actually changed. My pet peeve when it comes to paper clickbait is articles that are literally just reporting on what a pundit has said, as if we don't have access to YouTube, social media, or the BBC ITV Sky website. The Express have made this into a particular art form, alleges Andrew. Those articles just add extra noise to an already very loud media landscape. However, somebody somewhere must be clicking for these stories to be churned out at the volume that they are. One thing I did think was maybe worth discussion was why interviews in a sport like cricket seem to be so much more watchable and insightful than the average post-match interview can be in football. Is it simply because Sky's Ian Ward is one of the best in his field and cricket players on the whole seem pretty articulate, or is there some other reason, uh, another reason, for Rory to roll his eyes? Mention of Roger Federer and cricket in the correspondence no, section. The uh, that's from Andrew Watts Morgan. The cricket thing's interesting. I, I wonder if it must be. I don't. I. I know the, the stereotype is that cricketers are nice, nice middle-class boys, and therefore are more intelligent than footballers. I don't think that's true, but I wonder whether it's to do with the tones of the the tones and type of question that they're being asked. That they're being given chance to kind of come up with more coherent, more cogent, more interesting arguments rather than the Tim. And this isn't criticizing people who do post-match interviews. But the the circumstances of post match interviews that, that we discussed, and also the the need for part well partly the traditions of it, but also the need for certain types of answers, whether that in some way allows cricketers to be a little bit more like discursive in their answer. Like as we talked about, like there is a limit to what you can say immediately after a match when you're asked, you know, did you deserve that or whatever. There's a limit to the type of response. But also, I wonder if there's a degree of perception that's different, that people maybe hear things differently, that what the criticism of the footballers are saying is actually probably quite similar, but there is a perception, a presentational perception that what the criticism are saying is more, is more articulate. I don't know. And also in terms of international cricket with England in particular and their relationship with Sky, but not just Sky, with the media uh, in its entirety, they have a completely different PR strategy to mm. what most football clubs will have. If there is something controversial they will embrace it. They will put that person who is at the very heart of that controversy out to do media outlets in order to um, confront it head on, to not let it linger, to not have the John Terry affair saga, Charlie Brooker treatment that Andrew just mentioned in his piece. And that level of understanding and cooperation between media and sporting institution gives yeah. birth to these not only interesting stories that we can then talk about, Stuart Broad during last summer, for example, if people are familiar with that story, will understand after he was dropped for a game, but also it allows us to have a much more open and um, constructive relationship with those people. So you are not confrontational and not at all, mm. and therefore not trying to undermine or get somebody to say something that they don't. There's also the much more accepted tradition of breaking down certain elements of the game during that interview, whether it's because you're interviewing somebody who has scored a century and therefore you are talking to them about that accumulation of runs or a bowler who is taken a match winning five wickets and therefore you are reflecting upon their their crucial involvement or it's something as straightforward as how important the toss of the coin turned out to be in terms of having to bat last on on that pitch that there, there, there is a lot more detail mm. within a cricket match whether it's a a, a 2020 or a, or a test match that can be drilled down to within the interview which which leads itself better to a, a conversation between interviewer and interviewee rather than trying to to get to the nub of of the story that is going to keep the the, the football media bandwagon rolling and finally from Bryn Griffiths dear there once was a man from King Edward VI school, a man who went to Manchester, a man from Yorkshire, and 
a man from Nantucket, um, which is where he leaves that, thankfully. A while back, Hugh mused that he hadn't seen a limerick, says Bryn, in some time. I don't remember saying that. So here's one for the best weekly football chat podcast I know. Now, Bryn has given us a limerick. I'm, I'm, I'm going to try and read it um, as, as well as I can. I'm not sure it scans perfectly. Yeah, but we've already established through the, the whole EastEnders debacle that you've got no <laughs> idea of the beat. <laughs> yes. yeah. No rhythmic sense whatsoever. So here we go. There once was a podcast worthy of a memoir. We all listen as they intelligently discuss football at a buffet bar. Friends Smith, Ferris, Wyeth and Chinch with a football story that'll make your belly flinch. So subscribe to SPM and for f- sake, you don't go to VAR. Uh, thank you for your honest and thought-provoking pod. Keep up the good work. And you too, Bryn. Correspondence of any kind to setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Even you, Hugh, should be able to tell that that does not stand properly. That's, that's, that's why I gave it the uh, preamble even, that I did. Even a man of your rhythmic limitations should be able to, to spot that. I think, I think yes, I, I, I misplaced the, the, the dotted quavers followed by the three quavers and then the four semi-quavers. They're in there somewhere. Now, with the clocks in the UK at least springing forward this past weekend, you're starting to think about all those things you need for the months ahead. Perhaps you'll need to replace your garden furniture, consider creosoting your fence, and of course, buying a new lawnmower. But why get a lawnmower that's only relevant for a few months each year? If you get Manscaped's Lawnmower 3.0, you'll be using it during all four seasons. Because support for Set Piece Menu is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped, already trusted by over 2 million men worldwide, and is now available to UK customers as well. And because you listen to Set Piece Menu, you can get 20% off and free delivery at manscaped.com by using the code SPM. Let me tell you more about that lawnmower 3.0. It's got a new ceramic blade to reduce accidents. The battery will last 90 minutes. You can do it in the shower. It's waterproof. There's a light to show you where you're going as well. The motor uses quiet stroke technology, and yet it has 7,000 RPM. And there's a charging dock as well to keep that battery at its full extent. And just because it's for men doesn't mean it has to be purchased by men. We have female listeners too. And if you're thinking about what to buy the man in your life at his next birthday, head to manscaped.com right now. Indeed, Stevens Katie has been a one-person marketing machine in the local areas of the Wigington Didsbury border to make sure that her female friends are ordering manscaped.com products with 20% off from free shipping, thanks to the code SBM, for all her friends' other hearts. I got stopped at the school gates the other day by a mum of a friend of George's who said she had seen a video featuring me on Twitter. And I didn't realise she was such a big fan of catching up on the goals from the Bundesliga and Ligue 1 <laughs> via the BT Sport football <laughs> Twitter feed. But actually turned out, no. Katie had told her all about Manscaped and the video she was referring to was uh, the one that was on YouTube a couple of weeks ago, where Chinch was talking about how he had been using it. And the main question it appears that the mums at school have had for Katie is, what does ball toner smell like? Chinch, can you, uh, it's the thing that you sprayed into your mouth last week. Can you remember? It was delicious. Absolutely I mean, it's not, it's not for eating, is it? it, Oh God, no, please don't do, it could, on squid. No, 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 absolutely (laughs) do not eat it. Spray it on the ghoulies. It's, uh, it's, what does it smell of? It's, it's very difficult to put your finger on it, but it's delightful. Just spray it on. 
copiously. That's what I do. And it works a treat. But if, if there is a sudden spike in sales amongst women in their early 40s in the West Didsbury area, then we know why. Yeah. But I think it's, it's, a good, it's a good gift, isn't it? Because I wouldn't, I'm always slightly reticent to buy cakes, like anything that would be taken as a, as a suggestion for improvement, because it feels like that that's not, that's a very patriarchal criticism that I do not wish to make. Like a Peloton bike, as that uh, advertising campaign was last year. Well, I don't wish to buy her that because they cost a fortune. <laughs> the, 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 um, and she'll use it twice. The, well, well, she wouldn't get a chance because it's far too expensive. We are not that generous with each other. We're both from Yorkshire. But this is good because I, think, I don't think a man would take this as a, necessarily as a kind of, you're too hairy, it's disgusting, get rid of it. It's a, it's a self-improvement product. It works. It's, a, it's the right level for gift. And you can get 20% off that gift and oh, free delivery better. with the code SPM at manscaped.com. That's 20% off free delivery at manscaped.com. Just use the code SPM. Your balls will thank you. Uh, now, uh, this week's Select 11 is actually an idea given to us by a listener. Here is the context provided by Ryan Parks. To my favourite podcasters, I've been attempting to play this year's relegation battle out in my head. I am pulling for Fulham to avoid relegation. And I think it's possible due to Newcastle's injury situation, since he sent this in, Newcastle's terrible form as well. In one of the iterations, I asked myself who could carry Newcastle over the next few weeks and prevent Scott Parker's boys from escaping. The answer, in my opinion, is John Joe Shelby. I've been following the Premier League since 2012, so I tend to overage any player that's been around for the entirety of my viewing tenure. Whenever one of these players like Shelby crosses my mind, I tend to look up their age. While doing so, I noticed that he has won six caps for England. Six! One less than Mr. Andrew George Hinchcliffe. This took my thoughts down a different path. Who is the best England international to make fewer appearances than Chinch? But Mm -hmm. why stop at one? Can we get a select 11 of England internationals with six caps or less? (laughs) Then he says, helpfully, thank you, Wikipedia, and has sent us three links to those England international footballers with four to nine caps, with two to three caps, and with one cap. Three separate Wikipedia pages. I take great joy in the seven caps gag, says Ryan, but it is really an impressive accomplishment given the number of footballers England churns out. Uh, thank you from Ryan Parks, who is in Chicago. The task then is simple. Once you overcome your disbelief that John Joe Shelby has six England caps, we can build a team of players, can we not, who have played for England less often than Chinch. A sub-Chinch England team. The answer is, we will try. We will get distracted. We might have to remind ourselves several times if we've picked thus far. But given that there have been more than 1,200 England players over the years, and obviously there are likely to be higher numbers in the low caps category too, here is the arbitrary criteria governing our selections. Their international debut must be in the same year as or after Andy's professional debut. So nobody who played for England first before Chinch did for Manchester City is being considered. That year, by the way, is 1987. Nor is a player who is likely to add to what is currently a low number of caps and therefore make them ineligible in the future, because it's very important that our work here today stands the test of time. So then another select 11 chinch doesn't get into. It is our sub chinch England 11 constituted from players who have won six caps or fewer and are unlikely to add to them. Well, the main conclusion from the list of players who we are selecting from (laughs) is that it's not that much of an achievement to win seven caps. Because... <laughs> well, 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 what I would say is the, the quality rockets After when you six. get to seven caps. Yeah. Under, I agree, under, under seven caps. Awful players. Well, that, seven would... caps and above, unbelievable talent. It's I amazing would... how that line is exactly where I am. Extraordinary. I wouldn't ever describe a professional footballer as awful because they're obviously all amazing at football. That's why they're professional footballers. Wait until we start discussing this team and then you'll see what I mean. 
but there is definitely <laughs> a an element of suck it and see about quite a lot of these players. And I do wonder whether there is around. Suck it. Realize it tastes horrible and spit it into the gutter. That's what you need to do. <laughs> the I do. <laughs> funny if I do wonder to make a vaguely serious point whether there is a around seven, six, seven, eight caps. Whether there is a bar where you actually have to be to go back to last last week of international level to win sort of to get to 10 i think you probably have to be pretty good yeah whereas yeah, what, yeah. one two three four five six seven it's it's a little bit it's a little bit more random i would say well if you think about players who are selected for one squad and never before or since mm. could potentially play, and again, for only a minute at the end, coming on as a substitute, yeah, could, get could three play counts. once or twice, at the very most three times. Um, you wouldn't imagine any player to be selected having won no caps for a tournament, which then they would appear at mm. three or four times. So you can understand why once you get to one and two, for example, the list is pretty long, yeah. but above two and three, or well, say four, five and six, you've only got a few names on that list. And obviously the higher you then get, the, the shorter those lists become mm. on those individual cap numbers. But also I, I started all seven games. I only played seven, but started all seven. A lot of these surely would have been Joey Barton, Joey Barton, he played half an hour. So you think coming on as a sub, surely that carries a lot less merit. So there might be people who've got 15 caps. If 12 of them are for substitute appearances, surely seven starts counts for more than that. So this is, again, I'm opening up a whole new world of debate here, is that seven starts for England, what does that equate to in terms of of substitute performance? It must be, it must be, it must work that way. I, I feel I'm right. Let's just agree I am. And the other thing I think this list will show is that there are certain areas of the field in which England managers have tried out numerous options Mm. and others where clearly players have long been established and there has not been quite so much room or opportunity for versatility because there are very many defenders Mm. uh, available for selection. Quite a few middling to average strikers yeah. And not a huge amount of midfield creativity. And I also, I would be amazed if anyone who won six or five caps gets into our Select 11. Well, let's uh, tell you who those players are, because there are only five of them in total. Uh, so yeah, You're right, Steve. John Joe Shelby, who, given that uh, this, this whole... Uh, exercise is based on Ryan's noticing of John Joe Shelby having six caps. We're going to try very hard to get him into the team and ultimately fail. But John Joe Shelby and only Fraser Forster are eligible on six caps uh, for this select 11. So just two players on six. On five, there are three. John Salako, Chris Powell, who very much sub-chinch in terms of left backery, and James Beattie uh, as well. So Steve is already ruling out the possibility of including any one of those five yeah. players. I think you can make a case for Salako. You can make a case for him if you want. He was, my case is basically, he was quite a good winger. Yeah, but there's better wingers yeah. down, the, down the order. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. 
Okay, I'm interested now. John oh, Swarko yeah. g- get, gets a mention on, on account of the fact that he delivers uh, Chinch and my favourite ki- kind of Soccer oh, Saturday updates. Absolutely brilliant. Ball there came it. in, far post, he rises like a salmon, heads it down, the keeper's nowhere to be seen, it's bounced over the bar, it's a goal kick. <laughs> he gets so excited, it's going to be a goal, it's going to be a goal, it's going to be a goal. It's a goal kick. Why do you keep doing that? Building our hopes up and then just trashing them. He was brilliant at it though, to be fair. I don't think he knew he was doing it, but he was very good at it. Uh, so that's John Salako, so a, p- a potential winger. We are okay. therefore ruling out all those other four players, are we? I, well, I, I just think that I'm going to keep Salako. I'm intrigued by who you think are the better winners, but let's keep Salako in mind. I think Salako is one of those players who's maybe not being remembered as he should have been. I think Salako was quite a good player. There's a predecessor for John Salako's most famously represented club who is incredibly on this list has somehow slipped through the criteria filter. That's, that sounds remarkably mysterious. That I'm sounds sure really mysterious. Very simple, simple answer. Oh, Funnily enough, yeah, there, yeah. Are, there are quite a few yeah. um, of that Crystal Palace early 90s team ah, got who you, got yeah, a, yeah. A, a couple of caps and then, and then stopped. And we'll, we'll, we'll come past them as we go. Four caps have just seven players. So this is the last time that I might actually name everybody who uh, comes under this particular category. Steve Howie, Ian Walker, Ugo Ahiog, Dion Dublin, Scott Carson, Tom Huddleston, and Michael Dawson. Now, given that there are two uh, goalkeepers in that list, and we've already had one in Fraser Forster, let me also tell you about the other goalkeepers from whom we will pick immediately. Dave Besant and Richard Wright have two caps each. And in the one cap list, John Ruddy and Chris Kirkland, who I think got his father about 10 grand because of the bid, uh, because of the bet that he had laid when he was a child and then promptly wasn't given another. I think he got 45 minutes and then probably didn't get another cap. So are you suggesting there's underhand circumstances behind <laughs> Chris Kirkland's not. one and only England? It has to be ruled out then. It has to be ruled out. It's below seven caps, but it is very much above board. Um, so I would say that of those goalkeepers, there is an obvious choice. I would say and, so as well. And that is the only, only one I think who was ever truly a regular for a bid Premier League team and that's Ian Walker. I was going to say Dave Besant. I was really? going to say Dave Besant. Why would you say Ian Walker above Dave Besant, Rory? Because I think Walker actually had a, well, Besant played for a long time for smaller teams. Walker played for a long time for Tottenham Hotspur. I, I, I scored against Ian Walker. Does that change the picture for it you at does. all? Yes. Dave, Dave, Besant. Dave, Besant. <laughs> Dave Besant then, definitely. The, the other reason that I, I, I gravitated towards Besant is that he effectively does what, one of the things that Edison gets a huge amount of credit for now so we are bringing the the modern thought process about a goalkeeper's ability to play accurate long balls and plucking a goalkeeper out of history who is capable of doing that and so you're so- equating Dave Besant's distribution <laughs> to that of Edison what was Dave Besant he could was he not able the pitch <laughs> Did he not do it with a great deal of effective accuracy? No, However, I don't think he did. I think he had John Fashanu on the end of it. So he just basically smashed it up the pitch. But he did have to be able to consistently hit an area. Kick it over the halfway line. From from where Big Fash could get his head head to the ball and celebrate with an awooga. (laughs) You're an intelligent man, Steve, but I would not say Dave Besson's distribution was a thing that was glaringly obvious about his ability. No? Was it or was it not accurate, Chinch? And is that uh, not something? Well, he, he hit like a the modern goalkeeper gets he credit. He kept it. He kept it between the lines, didn't he? He got it over the halfway line. So is that accurate, or has that just been able to hoof it? More accurate, accurate than what not. He hit Fash the Bash, and I think he deserves some <laughs> credit. Ooga. 
it's accurate depending on what you're aiming for. <laughs> was he a good was he a good goalkeeper? Could he make saves? It was a very good goalkeeper. That's why save, I would save a penalty. him. First yes. goalkeeper to save a penalty in an FA Cup final. And Chinch, you've spent quite a lot of these podcasts talking to us about how the fact that when you were accused of lumping the ball forward, it wasn't. It was a long pass. Long pass. Yeah. Exactly. Why Edi- can't Dave no, Besson be? Ed- no, 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 no. Edison passes the ball long. Passes the ball long. Dave Besson humped it. Up well, the was, pitch for the biggins. I, I, I thought was, you were. A, I thought Chinch was a proper football man, and here he is, <laughs> completely immersing himself in modern football culture and mm. forgetting everything that's come was, before. Was Dave Besson <laughs> good? Hey, there we go. Was Dave Besson good? I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced. Uh, if if the if if the two of, of them are convinced that I'm just going to hang on. Let me just check. Who did Dave Besson play for? Did he what? have a spell on the South Coast? Yes, he did. Wimbledon, Southampton, and anyway, I I do remember John Barnes scoring from the halfway line pretty much because of uh, an, an ill-directed Dave Besant long pass. So um, maybe an ill-directed Dave Besant long, long Dave Besant. Dave Besant is sixty-two. That's, yeah. that's a shocking thing. That's really old, isn't it? But you know the other the other thing the other thing going in Dave Besant's <laughs> favour here is that Hugh has drawn a line at nineteen eighty-seven. Yeah, and I think it's quite nice, at least, that we select a player from very early on in the in the window of selection because we we could end up being a, a little bit contemporaneous with some of us. Well, it's it's mm. got to be a choice, then. It looks like it's Besant against Walker. That that's no one else is coming into the conversation, so well, we're going to have to we're going to have to make a decision on. One I think the tie, the tiebreaker has to be Chinch. Did you ever score against Dave Besant? Uh, no. Then then he gets it. <laughs> He's in, he's in, he's number one. And that brings to an end a debate which lasted about six minutes longer than I intended for it to last. Um, So we now move on to the possibility of finding a left back. Now, I'm going to suggest this is actually quite easy, but Mm. uh, others might disagree with me here because remarkably, Nigel Winterburn only has two caps. Yeah, I think it probably would have to be Winterburn. The other, the other name in that list who I think is worth considering, or who I would consider, is Barry Venison. Yeah, I, I like the idea of Venison in terms of bringing a bit of hair flair to the eleven. <laughs> no, but w- Winterburn. That character from LOLO. Winterburn is a no-brainer. We don't need yeah. shoulder pads and the, mullets in this team. Come the, on. The one thing I would say, I, I agree, Winterburn is, is probably the choice. Venison may well have played more for England had he played not for, for Liverpool at that time, because he would have played more frequently if he'd been at a club that didn't have quite the strength that Liverpool did. But yes, it's probably Winterburn. The left-backs, by the way, that uh, fall, have fallen by the wayside, Michael Gray, uh, Paul Koncheski, Nicky Shorey, Stephen Warnock, who, despite being a colleague of Stephen Wyeth, is completely and unforgivably ignored, uh, David Unsworth, who Chinch played with and is unforgivably yeah, and one ignored. Cap, one cap against Japan. And Michael Ball, also a one-cat wonder, who Chinch played with, but unforgivably ignored. <laughs> and uh, that's it, I think, in terms of those left-backs that were available to us. And we, we mentioned Barry Venison, didn't we? So, right-backs, which I think, Stephen, you think is, is as easy as Nigel Winterburn as a left-back. Yeah, there's one complete standout name on that list. It's Earl. It's got to mm. be Earl Barrett. Yeah, agreed. So, having ignored two left-backs that Mel Chinch Sterland? played with... <laughs> no, Mel Sterland? Mel Mel Sterling Sterling was was a very good right back. He was solid. He was dependable. He was, he was, you know, it was a title winner, wasn't he? Mel Sterling, he was part of that Leeds team. But I would say, I I would still say Earl Barrett. I love Earl, but he played in that defeat to the USA, didn't he? Oh, do you think that's what did for him? Well, I don't think he did for him, but (laughs) it's, 
I, I don't know. It's like me scoring against Ian Walker. If you were an England player and you played in the defeat to the USA, does that maybe does it does it uh, does it change things? Any, any? I'd go for Earl. Absolutely, absolutely. But I think Mel Sterling would be the other obvious right back choice. Well, the other players on the list who are right backs are John Flanagan, Carl Jenkinson, Martin Kelly. All uh, all one cap wonders for England over the years. Gary Charles, David Bardsley, Warren Barton. And Callum Chambers, who both have uh, three, uh, but Callum Chambers, I think, might have played as a right-back, but is now considered, I think, a centre-back. Gary Charles was quite a good player. He struggled with um, inj- after the injury and with alcoholism, I think, but Gary Charles at one point was a good player. Mm-hmm. Yes, early 90s. Um, he was certainly, yeah, the injury that he sustained, obviously, with a Paul Gascoigne tackle was yeah. uh, particularly devastating to him. So we've got a right-back of Earl Barrett. We've got a left-back of uh, Nigel Winterburn. Let's try and find some centre-backs. And as we look down the list, and we have mentioned them already, Winning four caps, Steve Howie, Ugo Ehiog, and Michael Dawson. Winning three caps, Keith Curl, John Scales. Do we uh, consider any of those in our Select 11? Ehiog was, was a good player, really good player, and would have played more for England if England hadn't had a load of centre-backs at the time. So Keith I would Curl? include Keith Ehiog. Curl? Keith Curl? Keith Curl. Keith Curl was a great yeah. footballer. I don't, really remember, yeah. I don't really remember Keith Curl. Yeah, he'd have been so my I will take your word for Curl. it. Yeah. Yeah, Keith Curl, I remember being um, considered one of those very cultured yeah. uh, centre-backs with a great deal of ability. On the other, yeah. on the other hand, Steve Bold won just two England yeah. caps. Bold yeah. would, would be in there. And you consider Steve Bold certainly ahead of the likes of others uh, under the two-cap mark, which is uh, Colin Cooper and Zat Knight. Can you remember Zat Knight playing for mm. England? Yeah. Um, I think he might have been in the squad at the same time as Anthony Gardner, who won one cap, which uh, would have been the tallest centre-back pairing in all of history <laughs> in all teams. <laughs> Uh, I'd imagine, but also uh, one cap, Neil Ruddock, the mighty Neil Ruddock, um, Stephen Kulka and Ryan Shawcross. There is one other name we should mention. I don't know whether this meets the criteria at all or whether it changes it too much. Steve Bruce never played for England. Yeah, but that's a whole that's a whole separate team we could build, surely. It would be a separate team, um, yeah. but it's a very good point. Of those he'd, he'd get in, he'd clearly get he'd, be, he'd get straight in, wouldn't he? Yeah. If he played a minute, he'd be in the team, wouldn't he? So, so we're I looking at... To- Curl, Curl, and Ekiog. Mm, I think Ekiog so. above above Steve Bold. We're playing a back four, are we? Is that are we? Yes. Are we, are oh, we yes. choosing on a formation? It's going to be four four two, is it? Yeah, it has, has to be four four two. It has to be four four two. Very solid anachronistic four four two. That's a pretty solid, you know, Besant, Barrett, Curl, Ekiog, and Winterburn. That's not going to give too much away, is it? But would you go bold over? Dreadful. Would you go bold over Ekiog? And do we think? Well, if we because Winterburn's a gimme, do we put? A clubmate. Good point, yeah. Well, you've got to think about the understanding between a left centre-back, for example, and and the left full-back. I mean, that, that could be, for our team, very important. Do we yeah, don't... I played alongside Martin Keown for many seasons. I couldn't understand a word he was saying. So there's no understanding there. So don't don't be fooled by that. Is that what you're going to go with, Bold and Winterburners? So that's why Steve Bold will get in, yeah? And you you, you three are all adamant on Keith Curl. Yeah. Then and cut think, Curl, yeah. Curl yeah. and Bold. Yeah, I think it gives you that 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 sort of that contrast as well of of styles of central defender that that complement each other well. Uh, lovely. So we have Dave Besant, Earl Barrett, Steve Bold, Keith Curl, and Nigel Winterburn as our back four in the select eleven of players who have won between one and six England caps. The sub chinch uh, England eleven. So we have to play four four two as we just mentioned, and we did get as far as saying that John Salako was a good winger, but then others chimed in to say there are better wingers. So chinch and Stephen. Who is the better winger that you would slot on the, the right-hand side of a 4-4-2? Uh, 
Steve, go on, you go first. I'm just trying to work out who I've put where here. Oh, well, the, the, the winger I had in mind, I'd have probably played on the left-hand side. So now I'm having to improvise a little bit, especially, and I, I didn't think about the four, four effing two thing. I'd selected <laughs> my team based on four, three, three. Bearing this team would that, not have any truck with your fancy modern formations that came about in the 1970s, Steve. This, this team is playing football from the 1960s. Well, in terms of volume of games played, Stuart Ripley, over 500 league appearances, has got to be a strong contender to play on the right-hand side. Well, I, I would be inclined to take the right and left together to group them as wide men. And yeah. I think you can make a case that Ripley and Wilcox are... The, the Blackburn winners from the, from the title winning season would both have a strong case. That's Ripley uh, with two and Wilcox with three caps. Particularly when you think about who the strikers might be, this is going to be a team that gets the ball wide, whips it in. That's what's happening. Um, but the other mm. the other names, as I say, I think Salako maybe even slightly underrated. Um, Alan Thompson, who was a very cultured player, different type of winner. Um, and the other one that I would throw in is Mark Walters, who was extremely good for an extremely good Rangers team and I think would have played more had they selected him while at Rangers a little bit more frequently, had he not been quite rubbish at Liverpool. And also, this occurred to me with with Earl Barrett and Keith Curl, you do wonder whether some of them didn't win as many caps as they might have done because they were black. There are certainly those to consider uh, along those lines because um, Michael Thomas also won two caps, talking about a player who also Mm. played for Liverpool in the early 90s. Did Michael Thomas play for Liverpool? Yeah, he, yes, yeah, he scored after, in the 1992 yeah. FA Cup final against Sunderland. Very good goal from the right-hand corner of the box. He was actually quite a good player, Michael Thomas. Yeah, he was. He's, he's in my... He's one of the two midfielders I could think of. I can't believe we can select Will Sahar, but because he's slipped through Hughes' selection criteria, yep, I'm tempted yep. to just hoover him up and put him in there. I, I thought the same and decided out of moral rectitude just to disregard him, because Will Sahar is Ivorian. Yeah, so he played terms. twice, but for uh, in two friendlies. So therefore, he's available for the Ivory Coast, for whom he now plays. So, you, do you want to rule? rule I would rule Zahar. I think. I mean, Zahar obviously would go in if if he's eligible. But I just think because he's, he's had two caps for England. Yeah, but he's had however many for. Doesn't, that's not. The we're Ivory not talking Coast. about how many how many players who've had got two caps for England and have played from other countries. He's had two caps for England. He is arguably the best individual player on this list. Oh, he, I think he is by some he, distance. He, can, we can't player. have him. But he, he does fit the criteria. I can't believe how forgiving Hugh is that he's left somebody on the list who's yeah. just turned his back. It's not that. Two to criteria me on the home of the beautiful either. game. To me, it's the fact that he, he's actually won 20 international caps. But this he is just, not a team. This is not a team built across. on morals. <laughs> Our selection should not be a moral choice. We've got, if we're going to win games and get anywhere, surely, are you saying, I can't have Will Sahar on moral grounds, I do not want a very good player in my team. Right? Is that it, what you're going to do now? I put it to the vote. Who thinks we should be able to select Wolf Sahar? I do. I, w- I would vote no. I don't think we should be allowed, though. Uh, and then, why? Well, why then, is he on the list, then? Because he's an idiot. Yeah, He's not an idiot. No, the criteria has been followed, but I will cast the yes. casting vote uh, to say that no, we won't include him because it will be much, much harder to try and find a replacement. So therefore, the challenge is something that I think that we should accept because if he's in the list, he gets in. That's too easy for this process. So, so somebody find me two wingers because at the moment we don't have any. And I would rather probably not have both Ripley and Wilcox. Really? Just because that feels a bit dull. I think it's nice. I think that's really sweet that those two players who were so central and also so central, they were playing on the flanks to the so important to the Blackburn title win that 
that they should both that they should go in together. Does Ripley and Wilcox were a duo, but it also depends on who the strikers are. So, if, which if leads us, you're you're edging towards a vote for your Monday nightclub colleague, aren't you? To no, absolutely, absolutely not. Oh well, that's funny because I was I would have voted for him. So he should have played more often for England than he did. But I would I think there's probably two, he would be fourth on my list of strikers. I quite liked the Mark Walters suggestion. I had overlooked him initially, but I think he was a good player. Mark Walters. a compelling case for him, actually. Me making a compelling case for all these people is basically just saying he was a good player. The, um, <laughs> but if you're talking about, if you're talking about crosses, talking about crosses, Steve Guppy could cross a hell of a ball. He could, yeah, yeah. And he'd give you balance, the Gupmeister. Walters played 180 times for Villa, 106 times for Rangers, 95 times, for, 94 times for Liverpool. That's that's a pretty good career. And it is, it is strange that given that he was at Rangers in their kind of imperial phase, that he played so little for England. Again, I would question who the winners were who were ahead of him. But maybe Walters goes in. So that, that leaves you with the possibility of then including Jason Wilcox, if you want a left-hand-sided one, to complement that. Um, the story is less compelling if you haven't got Wilcox and Ripley. But mm. still, um, is he the best left-winger there? Or are we going to... No, we're not going to do Steve Guppy. Um, so would you have oh, so, just, so you'd go... Because I, I think I thought the conversation was leaning towards the idea that you would play Walters out of position on the left. I thought Ripley... I could do that, yeah, yeah. So, in the, so, so in this anachronistic four-four effing two, where for years England didn't have a left-hand sided midfielder to play on the left-hand side of yes. midfield, which was considered completely incompatible with all football, um, we are now going to. Well, I suppose that would reflect beautifully yes, the exactly. fact. Exactly, we, we, we're sticking with. If we're going four-four-two, we need to play a right footer on the left-hand side if we're going to do this properly. I'm not sure Walters gets in ahead of Ripley. That was okay. That would be my my Ripley I, and Wilcox would be uh, a good uh, yeah. combo. Let's do Ripley and Wilcox. So Ripley and Wilcox go on either side of two midfielders. Did you mention that you wanted Michael Thomas to be one of those midfielders, uh, Rory? Yeah. yeah, I think Thomas is... The, so this is, the, this is the area that's really hard because there are not very many central midfielders at all, which, as well, Steve says, might indicate that that's where there's been the most consistent selection for yeah. in the last 30 years. Shall I run through them and then we will decide upon potential partner for Michael Thomas if, with two caps, Michael Thomas gets in. John Joe Shelby who, even if he doesn't get in the Select 11, might have the Select 11 named after him. You've got Tom Huddleston on four. Paul Stewart, who was a, an attacking midfielder come split striker, if you like. You've got Tim Sherwood, who would, <laughs> I would imagine, support his own case to be in this team. Jack <laughs> Rodwell, Danny Drinkwater, Leon Osman. Then you've got the likes of Mike Phelan, Andy Gray, another one of those Crystal Palace players I mentioned uh, earlier on. Uh, Kevin Richardson, Lee Hendry. Seth Johnson, Gavin McCann, uh, Lee Bowie, who actually played on the right-hand side before moving inside, um, David Dunn, Joey Barton, and Ryan Mason, who we definitely won't put in because he's criticised Chinch before on social media. So he's out. So the one, the one that I'd say that leaps out there is Bowyer, because Bowyer was Bowie did play wide right for Leeds, but he was a central midfielder. He, he did play wide right on his one England cap because he actually got an assist because he crossed it in for Alan Smith to score against Portugal in the only yeah. game that he played. So I would say Bowyer... Of all the now, there's a couple that I don't really, I don't really remember Kevin Richardson. So, so the older yeah, members of the group, he was decent. Richardson yeah. might might yeah. say that he was he was good. There's one, hang on, there's one other that I didn't remember. Andy Gray at Palace, don't remember him. I don't, so I, so I don't remember Kevin Richardson, and I don't remember don't remember Andy Gray. So I can't select either of them. So I would go for Bowyer. Hmm. hmm. Hugh sounds unconvinced. I, ca I can't, I can't better it because for. The, I can't better it for the reasons that we've mentioned, that, 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 that there aren't really There's enough. no one better. We can't better it because there's no... Kevin Richardson did, yeah, he was 
it was Villa, very, wasn't he? It was Villa. Yes, Villa. Yeah. Um, ginger hair was, with a tash. Yes, uh, he very was workmanlike. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of these other. Yeah, he, he was. He was in my thinking. Steve, any ideas or? Uh, I've written down interest or Osman's yeah, interest or. <laughs> I've written down Leon Osman, in yeah. terms of consistency, prolonged career playing. Have the, you worked with him? Like, have you worked with him recently as well? well yeah, especially That's having not going to influence having, you though, is it? Definitely, definitely not influence. I've been completely overlooked. Warnock, I felt like you know I have to yeah. show a little bit of loyalty somewhere along the line. Lebo, you and Michael Thomas as a midfield pair, is that going to dominate games? It's not, but it's it's nice and it's got plenty of bite, doesn't it? Yeah. The only the only kind of cultured midfielder in there is Huddleston. Yeah, I did think of him. Yeah. Originally, I had Huddleston and Richardson as my two midfielders because they are central midfielders and they can do different things. But again, I'm open to persuasion. Huddle, Huddleston might not be a bad shout. Bit of class, bit of class on the ball. Spread. Well, if you're thinking about the way that you look, Keith Curl, elegant defender, Steve Bold, mm. not so elegant, give the ball to Huddleston, pins it wide, wide right for either Ripley or Wilcox. And then the ball gets whipped in. That's how this team's going to have to play. And so Bill maybe, Barrett maybe and Nigel Winterburn can steam forward as they love to do. Well, Barrett would be the would be the more attacking of the two. Does Winterburn did not like crossing the halfway line, did it? Uh, I did think it, it was in his contract? It was in his contract not to cross over <laughs> cross over the halfway line. Is there, Alarms went off when he did. Can we just do a very straight, simple question? Huddleston or Boya? Which player do you want? Huddleston in this for me. No, hang on, no, no, no. There's a better way to do this, Hugh. Who's going to play? in central midfield alongside Michael Thomas. It's up for grabs now. <laughs> oh, nice. 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 Don't like me. Showing your age that, there. Nice, yeah. your uh, age. I would go Bowyer. Huddleston for me. Stephen? I, I'd go for Huddleston over Bowyer if that's the choice. I'm going to do Huddleston. There you go. Get you, you notice I just go the way the wind is blowing and yes. I don't really have any strong opinions on my own. So the two strikers that we're going to put in this very, very structured and strict 4-4-2, um, I wanted Chris Sutton and uh, Stan Collymore in there, but uh, it sounds like Chris Sutton, despite the fact that he is uh, related almost familiarly uh, to Rory these days, won't get a look in from Rory. Chris Sutton, actually, to be fair, you can make a, you can make a pretty strong case for. Does Chris Sutton, for all that he is now... A very, very, very nice man and a very, very good pundit. But he is kind of, he's set himself up almost as a figure of sort of grumpy fun. Um, and he gets a lot of abuse because of that. Chris Sutton was a really good footballer. Chris Sutton won the Premier League. He won countless trophies in Scotland. He He's kind of stained a little bit by that year at Chelsea, which is, I think, how most people remember him. But at Norwich, he was, he was a player of rich promise, scored loads of goals at Blackburn. Um, you can make a case for Sutton. But the two that I... That I initially put down with Collymore, who I think mm -hmm. in terms of natural talent is probably the only one equivalent to Will Zaha and David Hurst, who could kick the ball really hard. <laughs> oh, does anybody remember who um, Chris Sutton played against for England? Because I played in the game. He came on a sub at Wembley. Saudi Arabia. No. Was it the nil-nil against game Cameroon? That no, it was the win against Cameroon. 2 0. Big it game. It was the 2 0 win against Cameroon. It was 0 0 against Saudi Arabia. The night that Cameroon yes, could not wear. The, the night that Cameroon could not wear enough levels of. Play players, yes. Yeah, played <laughs> him in, that, in November or something stupid. Did, what did, you, did you like Chris Sutton as a player? Uh, when you were in a squad uh, with him? I like. He wasn't. He can't have been in many. Because then he decided he got called up for England B or something. And, and he didn't, refused, and refused to play and said, yeah. I'm not. No, no, I'm not doing that. So he wasn't in many squads I, I, maybe only the ones I didn't again I didn't get to know him because 
And also a lot of the, they just kind of didn't talk to each other. So I wouldn't have got to know him anyway if I'd have been around him for five years. In terms of, in terms of sheer weight of goals, Sutton outscored everyone yep. else we've mentioned yep. so far. Apart from David Nugent, who had one cap, one goal. That is 100% scoring success rate for England. So I I mean, it's got to be Colin Moore and Sutton. Sorry, when I, said out, when I said outscored, I meant, it, I meant in, in league. In general. Yeah. In general. Oh, in general. Oh, obviously, obviously. The other name that should, should be mentioned <laughs> is David White. We didn't mention David White when we were talking about wingers, which surprised me because I was expecting Chinch to bring that up because of his incredible uh, talent as a young player, which didn't yeah. necessarily manifest itself beyond those early years. I played against, obviously, Dave and Stuart, Stuart Ripley was a nightmare to play against because he was he was incredibly strong. And I, I just looked at it and said, who would I rather play against? I'd rather play against Dave White because he was a bit more predictable. He was very, very quick, probably quicker than Stu, but Stu had... More physicality could cause you more problems, Ripley. So that's why I, I stuck with him. So would you have White as a winner? Because I think of White as a forward. Uh, well, when Magic was always four four two, wasn't it? He played wide right as a kid. Youth teams for Man City played there. Eventually, when Peter Reid played him a bit more centrally with Niall mm. Quinn and stuff, didn't he? But he did. When I knew him, he played as a a wide. Right yeah. player, so he's I a think, winger. He was a winger. I'd think of David White as a right, uh, right, right winger, and I'd f- think of David Hurst as a as a definite. I play with David Hurst as well at a youth level. He could kick the ball. Had a wonderful left foot, but it was David like Hurst, a traction engine when he kicked it. David Hurst was was a very good striker in the Premier League for quite a long time. To the extent yeah. that Man United wanted to yeah. sign him ahead of Cantona. Yeah. And his, it was only when David injury Hurst problems. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I could tell you about the night out I had with David Hurst once, but I'm not going to. But um, we, we, we're obviously united on Collymore. Yes, and, and the one so other we just player... all ignored that when, when he tried to say, I have, I've got a friend in football that I went out with. We just ignored yeah, don't, him. Don't, just don't ignored in, him. Don't indulge it. Don't indulge um, it. There, there, we should mention one other player before probably settling on, on Collie Moore and one other, and that's John Fashnu. Uh, because I wanted to bring him up, because if we've got Dave Bessant in goal, then what better footballing axis than having Bessant to Fashnu, drop down, Collie Moore, jiggery-pokery, bang. And it does actually fit, fit in with Ripley and, Wil- Ripley and Wilcox out wide. Is, is that a tactical approach? Yes. Kick it forward, chickery pokery bang. Is that... It's not quite the same as we're selecting Steve Bold because we've already picked Winterburn, is it? Oh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Football's about partnerships. It is. Bold, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Bold and Winterburn, Ripley and Wilcox, Bezen yeah. and Fashionu. I don't think you can have Fashionu. You no. can't. Not with Chris Sutton and Stan Collins. That, like that was like a John Salako Soccer Saturday update. You brought yeah. us up, Rory, and you've yeah. got partnerships, but but for, it's still nil-nil. You're going into a major <laughs> tournament. You've got John Fashnuzzi striker. He'll be sent off within about seven minutes. Yes. Yes, those, those European referees. This team's going to be so good that it's going to be dominating possession, so there won't be too many opportunities for Besant to launch. Is it? <laughs> You've is... asked this team to keep the ball. Kick it away. <laughs> <laughs> it, will be, it will be managed by Jose Kick Mourinho. Kick it, run after it. Um, actually, it'll be managed by Sam Allardyce because he just got one cap as a manager. So there we go. We've got a manager. Oh, brilliant. That's perfect. So perfect. Um, if, if, are we happy to vote on, on Sutton or do we do we have three against one on Sutton? I know you wanted David Hurst, Rory. I, I like David Hurst a lot as a player, uh, but I, I, I am willing to be, to be browbeaten into Sutton. Okay, you can tell him that everybody else wanted him in and uh, yeah. and you didn't. So the team, therefore, is managed by Sam Allardyce, one cap. Uh, Dave Besant <laughs> in goal. Earl Barrett, Steve Bold, Keith Curlin, Nigel Winterburn as a back four. Uh, midfield four, Stuart Ripley, Michael Thomas, Thomas Huddleston. That's quite difficult to say. Um, and Jason Wilcox. And up front, Stan Collymore and Chris Sutton. What an excellent example of how a Select eleven can produce terrible Terrible football. Where where is the major deficiency? Is it central midfield that we're 
we really have a problem, would you say? Or let's put John Joe yeah. Shelby in, solve the problem. No, 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 no. Let's not do that at all. Call it the John Joe Shelby eleven, but he's he's so poor that he doesn't get into it. And just before we go on this, uh, I wanted to mention uh, a number of players who f- fall outside of the criteria, but would probably be very much recommended and get into the team. Um, these players of yesteryear are in a little sidebar. Don Reevy got six caps and four goals. Joe Royal got six caps. I think got two goals or three goals. Dennis Stewart, six caps. Laurie Cunningham, six caps. Mm-hmm. Cyril Regis, Mike Doyle, Clive Allen, only five caps. Peter Osgood got four caps. Then Brian Clough got two. Alan Kennedy got two. And then three goalkeepers all got one, who in my memory growing up in the 1980s were all titans of the game, but clearly there was Shilton, uh, so they didn't get much of a look in. Phil Parks, Nigel Spink, and Alex Stepney, obviously from the 60s. But Phil Parks and Nigel Spink from the 1980s, I always remember them being stupendous goalkeepers. Phil Parks scored once, do you remember that? Um, and, uh, but they never got a look in because of Peter Shilton. A lot of those players could threaten our eleven. Clive Allen, I mean, you'd, Clive Allen, you'd have him up front, wouldn't you? Yeah. Straight away. And Nigel Spink, like Hugh, I just remember him as being one of the outstanding players of my early years following football. I'd, ha- I'd have had him in goal, definitely. Mm-hmm. But you've also got, I mean, Laurie Cunningham, the people who saw yeah. him play would, would tell you that he was one of the most gifted. I mean, played for Real Madrid. You know, he was one of the most gifted players of his generation, if not the most gifted. Regis too, and which, which again brings you back to to how much did race play a role in selecting the England team in the 70s and 80s. Um, and Don Reavy was was a, a kind of a transformational player. Obviously, he's now best remembered for um, for Leeds and stuff and for going to the UAE and being the manager that England never had. But as a player, Don Reavy, invent, in, in English terms, invented the number 10 position. Don Reavy was... that Manchester City had an entire tactical scheme that was called the Reavy plan, and it was utterly revolutionary so he he was a, a an incredibly significant footballer as well as a manager a lot of good players who uh, were passed over for a number of different reasons uh, for england over the years but <laughs> thank goodness chinch wasn't seven times Phew. um it is time for never mind jack and Ori, what a soccer story this is an andy tells tale from his playing or broadcasting days with all adult behavior and libel where the details removed but because we've uh, overtaxed him today um here is a soccer story sent in to us by kenny maddock dear hugh steve rory and erling Haaland stolen shinbone Uh, which is a reference to a couple of weeks ago and a comic strip that you may remember we mentioned. Since my last email to you, I've been listening to your dulcet tones while exercising my four-year-old Labrador, Dusty, every Wednesday morning. And he has sent in a photo for an example of the view I have when doing so, taken whilst listening to you one fine morning last year. We are going to put this photo onto Twitter because for two reasons. First of all, it's an astonishingly beautiful uh, scene that he surveys, but also because I would like all people to please, when they are listening, uh, bearing in mind we're entering the summer months, spring months, if they listen to the podcast in a particularly beautiful area, please do send us a picture and we'll uh, see how many people do that because I think you all do, or at least I like to imagine that you all do. Uh, So thank you to Kenny for sending in his picture. Meanwhile, I've probably missed the boat given Andy's return, but I wanted to provide a backup soccer story should you ever need one. We need one, Kenny. Here it is. I was a goalkeeper in a league here 15 years ago. He lives in Scotland. And on one particular Saturday morning, we were playing on a particularly boggy pitch next to the River Clyde in Renfrew, just outside of Glasgow. We started well and were 1-0 up. When after collecting a cross and sending the ball forward, I heard what can only be described as a, and he's giving me stage directions, a 
That's a pop. From behind me, I turned to find my centre-half Jamie lying in a heap on my penalty spot, unable to move. He had a previous history of ACL injury, so I rushed over to him to help. When trying to establish how bad the injury was, we soon realised that we wouldn't be able to move him as he was in a considerable amount of pain. An ambulance was duly called and it eventually arrived, parking on the pitch in my 18-yard box. We managed to get Jamie onto a stretcher and into the ambulance, ready to be taken away to the local A&E. Unfortunately, the inevitable happened. The ambulance got stuck on the pitch. Eventually, all 22 players and additional substitutes managed to free it and send it on its way. The game then restarted 35 minutes after the initial injury. During the 35 minutes of subsequent added time, we conceded several goals. One in particular, which will stay with me forever. A long ball over the top came towards me and I rushed out to smother it before the opposing team striker was able to get to it. I anticipated the movement of the ball and slid to collect it and overshot by a considerable margin. Why? The ball had kept coming towards me, but then bounced and stopped dead in one of the tire tracks the ambulance had left on the pitch. I dove over the ball and continued to slide to the edge of my 18-yard box, unable to stop in time to prevent the aforementioned striker from collecting the ball and slotting it in to a now empty net. Not my finest hour, but certainly one of the weirder games of football I've been involved in. Jamie recovered from his injury and got back to playing again. So thankfully it all worked out in the end. Thanks as always for a wonderful podcast, which has helped me and countless others over the last 12 months. I hope you will continue to do so long into the future. Yours, uh, Kenny Maddock. Kenny, thank you so much. Any of your soccer stories that you have, send them in with all correspondence to setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Please subscribe, share, rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Thank you to Steve, Andy and Rory and to you all for listening along. We'll be back with another set piece menu for you to enjoy very soon indeed. How, how, how did you get seven caps <laughs> and Nigel Winterburn didn't? Uh, that's one of the great unanswered questions of... I think that, that, that might be easy the, humankind. the greatest inside. mystery in history. Kenny Sanson, that's the reason. Yeah. Plus Chinch's willingness to use both halves of the field meant he was yeah, a but that, more you're versatile. Not, you, you're not talking about particularly adventurous England teams, are you? Because Winterburn must have been playing throughout your career. Uh, yes, yes, he would have been. Yeah, yeah, extraordinary business. How would well, Nigel no, Winterburn well, fit in as a as a wing back? Bearing in that's, mind that's, that's what I was just about that. to say. When wing back, again, I could again my my football ability was limited, but I certainly could run up and down. Nigel Winterburn was probably a better footballer, but did he struggle with running up and down? And if you ask him <laughs> to play as a wing back, you've got to do even more running up and down, and maybe. That wasn't one of his great strengths, would we say? Or I would presume not. he could sort of chug along in the way that chug you... Al- chugging along is passable in a back four. You can't chug along as a wing back, can you? I would say that you're going to run like an idiot. Wing battery is is exclusively chugging along, isn't it? No. Just chugging up and down and up and down. You're basically no, you like don't a, chug. No, as a, as a wing you're back, a you pendulum. don't chug. A chugging pendulum. That's one word for it, but you certainly don't chug. You just seem to sprint everywhere because you're never quite up with the attack and you're always trying to get back and help defend. <laughs> so maybe that's part of the reason. That's part of the reason that I got. How many more caps than him did I get? A good, was it four or four or five more? Or I think he got really? two. 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 Got two. Five two, more caps. two. Yeah, he, that's not fair, is it? That's just, he wasn't, he wasn't a two cap wonder, was he? He should have got more than that. He was much better than that.